0: This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry.
1: Welcome everybody to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks here as always with Kira Sismati Camping and RV Council. We have everyone here today. I'm just going to take a breath before I introduce everybody because it's been a long time. I haven't had to do that. So Sandy Ellingson's here with us. Christine Taylor, town law firm. She's here to make sure I don't say anything silly. Mark Kep's here for all of his knowledge and everything he does with virtual tours and marketing and everything else. Casey Cochran from Camp Spot. Really not sure what he does, but. Hopefully you'll tell us about camp products. Well, Scott Bruce is here from Horizon Outdoor Hospitality, and Mike Harrison from CRR Hospitality. Super really excited to have the whole gang here together. Um, where do we want to start, guys? I feel like I've been coming up with all these topics that are relatively boring for people for a couple of weeks now.
2: So somebody throw something out there. What's guess? What's happening in hospitality? What's going on? What should we talk about? How about it's spring and people are starting to go camping again. Let's.
1: We've covered that actually. It's spring in Calgary, but not necessarily in Michigan or new york probably in florida It never really stops being playing there so what about where you are mark because yeah
2: definitely so i'm up near the black hills of south dakota and up in wyoming and the last three days all of a sudden there's just a flood of rvs out on the road we're seeing them all over town all over the place and it's both rentals and private units out and about yeah. people are traveling already our data first off camp spot i'm gonna give them Casey, and specifically Michael, a plug, They've now, they're now releasing some industry data from like their database, which is showing this overall trend for our industry. If you look at the macro environment as tough, but our industry, we're down a little bit, but people are still camping. So it's good to see that many people out camping. On our end at Campground Views, our user traffic is way up, and there's other reasons for it, but just the general amount of people searching for campsites, is there? So it's exciting to see that, and I think I'm like you, Brian and Kara, right here. It's been freezing cold. We've had a brutal okay. winter here in Wyoming, like brutal, and it's 75 outside.
0: Actually, didn't I
2: here,
1: yeah. it really wasn't that cold. It didn't feel like this winter here.
0: Yeah, no, I mean it was. We had a couple of rough stretches there, but nothing out of the oh, ordinary. Right. Okay. Okay.
1: so maybe, but well, maybe this is a good place to start with the data, right? Just yeah. talking about because KOA, we're using North American carrier before we get into the data. Mark, I have a question for you. I'm just curious. Every time we ask you how things are going, you say there's RVs on the road. I'm passing. Do you go out them. I do, actually, something? yeah.
2: It's like whenever you're looking for something, all of a sudden you see them everywhere. I'm looking for a new car that I've never seen this vehicle on the road before. Now that I'm actually looking at it, I see the darn thing everywhere. Yes, for 12 years of my life, it was all about RVs. So, like, I see them. I spot them. I even know what type of tires they have on their units. That's how crazy I am about the RVs. At night, you to the you count RVs instead of cheap. I do. I can see the interstate out my door here, so I count RVs.
0: Literally.
2: <laughs> for, all
1: right. All right. Let's talk about data. Who has digested and read the North American report besides me who put it into an AI and had questions question that I just asked? I,
0: I have not done it lately. We've been busy with our advocacy stuff. We were in for a while last week, so I'm excited to dive into it.
2: I took a high-level look at it, and the big thing is the number of campers that went both last year and they're considering doing it this year, it just shows that continuous trend that people are interested in the outdoors. It, was, it ties into a conversation I was having with somebody who was internationally. And they are asking about our business. They provide like marketing services and technology services. And it was a sales call. And he's like, what, what do you guys do? And I said, I run the camping business. And his response was, oh yeah, you Americans are really into the outdoors, right? So it's just like an international discussion. Yeah, you Americans are outdoors. Is what you're, you're North, Ameri- you're North America. American. You're a North American.
3: Canada, the North American,
2: Canadian. But who in the what country in the world, I'm pretty curious, is just not in the
1: outdoors? Like, I mean, I Antarctica. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I bet you there's a lot, like, mostly Antarctica <laughs> right? is the scientific reason intentionally go out and collect ice samples every day. So by definition, they would have to be, right?
0: Not big campers, though.
3: That doesn't mean they're into the outdoors.
1: That means they have to go outdoors. But they choose to go and I don't know, anyway, that,
0: Okay. Anyway, I think, yeah, Mark, I think that really, it really speaks both to pre- the kind of longevity of the lifestyle, which we talk about often, right? Just the resiliency of the industry as a whole and all of that. But then also I think there's other factors at play here too, where I think a lot of, at least in Canada here, a lot of our members were anticipating folks would return to traveling in kind of other formats and ways. And now with the economy kind of being a little bit volatile, And people pinching pennies, they're sticking to this affordable way to still travel and do all of the things. So really a positive for us. But I think those factors are resulting in longevity in terms of bookings and that sustaining that level of interest in the sure.
4: What
3: I found interesting was some of the demographical information, the evolution of Gen Z. They said Gen Z is now one out of every four campers, right? We've had a lot of discussions about our parks and we're very family friendly and multi-generational and not restrictive to just particular age category. But I think that's very interesting and how do campgrounds and parks and resorts evolve to make sure that it isn't just 55 plus anymore. And what amenity sets do they have? What kind of activities do they have? What experiences do they have? Because that's where the, clearly the market is going. Baby boomers, retirees, snowbirds, those are all going to continue, but it's not the only demographic. And if you look at the last five years, that that has shifted as
1: well. So, uh, that's what I drew out of it. Yeah, anybody... I can test? I'll go ahead, right? Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask Casey or Scott. But everybody else did not have.
5: I scanned through it. And t- yeah, I scanned through it. We've we looked at some high-level stuff, but we'll probably take it five and no time permits. But just to what Mike was saying, too, in regards to the kind of aging, we brought a big group to his park, of friends over spring break. And it was interesting that we had a, I don't know, maybe a group of 40 people. And so imagine like that coming through with kids and everything to, to their park. And it was just, everyone that was with us was truly blown away with style of vacationing. It was just, it was everyone assumed they were going to stay in a hotel in Sedona. And and that was going to be the experience. And I went out to, to Mike's park a few weeks prior. And just had just a great time and ended up in Singapore and saying, Hey, if you want, we can switch gears and you can do some cabins and you can do some some of these covered wagons just for a different experience. And everyone left there. I think we, everyone left with 35 more people now saying the next time that we go on vacation, looking at other accommodations in addition to that. And I think what Mike's saying is extremely relevant, right? Like you're introducing to some extent a different age group to this experience and it's not to say that they're never going to stay in a hotel again, but just adding that element of another option is becoming more and more relevant. And so, the more parks I think that can, that want to accept that, right? Because I remember saying too, in the same regards, we were there and you of you have some get buzzing around and things of that sort. And for someone that's retired and that they don't want, they don't want someone buzzing around them. <laughs> they want to be walking and they don't want to get passed by a bike, right, or something along those lines at any type of speed. So again, there's those different dynamics, but it is interesting seeing how many people in that 55 below category. And I think there's still a massive opportunity for that many more people to get introduced to that. And again, not to replace hotels, but to add that as an option. I think that's going to become very relevant and very interesting to watch the data on that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
4: sorry. That's just gonna. I was just going to say that I thought it was interesting that this is the first time they've actually taken data from just the general travel industry, people who are staying in ca- hotels and things like that. And I don't remember the exact number, but I do remember it was significant. It was very high that of the people that traveled for business and pleasure who had never stayed in a campground, I want to say it was something like 73% of them said they had stayed at some type of a accommodation at an RB park in the last 12 months. Yeah. And so that was pretty significant because these people haven't, they've been our demographic set to some extent, but they didn't on campers. And we've really not gone <laughs> after the people that don't really on campers really hard yet, I don't think. That was, in, a,
1: that was in yesterday's report, Sandy?
4: That was in the, yes, that was in the report from the KOA can we, report. Can
1: we try to bind it? I have it pulled up. Yeah.
4: yeah. And okay. yeah, Scott oh. Bayer, who helped to write that report, or who's responsible mm-hmm. for it, is actually going to be at the Florida conference. He's going to be expanding on that quite a bit, so it's going to be a lot of fun to listen to him and his thoughts.
1: Guess you said, or what was it? What was it talking about?
4: I'm trying to remember the term they called. There was a specific term they called them, but they were talking about people who only, who've only traveled for business or pleasure and stayed in hotels. They have a term for it. and I don't remember what that is. I apologize. I that's
3: uh, interesting. Uh,
4: Oops, no. sorry.
3: Hey, Kara. No, well, I was going to say, following up on what you were saying about affordability. Casey mentioned Sedona. Sedona is 479 529 439 a night. And our glamping options are considerably cheaper than that. But there's crossover in May or June. They have the annual Arizona Hotel Lodging Conference. And the president <laughs> of the National Association is speaking. And I'm attending that. So I think there is blending of some of the, the hospitality guests, traditional hotel guests, that if we, we prefer, don't understand, understand that segment. I think we're leaving money on the table and potential customers, similar to Sandy's point, and those are what case there's just going to be continued more opportunity to do that.
6: I think we've, we've seen that trend growing as well through the pandemic, right? Yeah. When folks were scared that they didn't want to hop on planes, <laughs> cruise ships weren't sailing, they turned to camping and outdoor hospitality. And we've, we said a few times on the show during the thick of that, that really it's up to the operators to ensure that they're exceeding a uh, guest experience expectation of what they think camping is i think it's incredible that casey you took such a large group and mike i think it's awesome that your property hit it out of the park so that we continue to build that audience i think one other point that i wanted to mention too is the emergence of gen zers continuing to become one of the fastest growing segment in soon will be one of the largest segment in camping demographic, really understanding what they want from a property and not just from a physical amenity or on-site activity experience, but what hospitality looks like to them. I think that baby boomers by and large, and not to stereotype all of them or generalize all of them, largely are used to a, a hospitality standard that it's this like ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Like it's this very high-end, when they think about a true high-end hospitality experience, they think more of a catering to your average need type of experience. I think demographics are changing, and with that, having the ability to connect with people on a more emotional level, and I think Horizon's kind of pivoting to first hiring people that have the capability of having emotional intelligence and being able to connect people authentically, Knowing that each individual guest experience on site will be unique to them, to themselves and not having, but be so cookie cutter in the delivery of the actual experience outside of the physical amenities
1: on site as well, that you guys have discussed. Christine, you've been quiet. Any thoughts from a legal perspective on, or I don't know, or whatever you want to do, <laughs> a lot of knowledge besides that. But...
7: Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts that kinda of germinated my head that I'm thinking about. It. Talking about the changing demographic and how the is going to be a pool that we're going to adapt. Yeah. Yeah. I would Change. identify for how the issue that how we advertise shouldn't be something that we're thinking about. Cause some people have heard me say before, but even if we're advertising proactively for somebody, we have to be careful that our advertising aren't determining against specific groups of other people. Even though we might want to target a particular demographic or sure that people know that we're open to a particular demographic, we have to be careful in those advertisements. I would, perhaps the biggest takeaway from where we are in the legal realm wrap up this piece of it is although I'm encouraged and attuned by people wanting to have different demographics in their parks, I would just caution that you be very careful on how you advertise for them because even positively on trying to do something and get you in legal struggle so that would be my
1: piece I don't want to spend like a ton of time talking on that but I feel like it's important is this a like obviously we want to be inclusive of age and sex and race and everything but is that something you could actually get in legal trouble for omission that was not intentional
7: yeah it's like kind of specific so like for example I guess side piece like Family gone back into the camping industry again, and we now own a campground again. But as I was helping update all of our online stuff to reflect new research and stuff like that, for example, you know how Google Business has the ability to check that if you're open to everybody, and yes, yeah. that's okay. You can say that you're open to everybody and you're inclusive and things like that. What's not okay, and the example I like to use that people are most familiar with. Is like a bar having a ladies' night where ladies can enter for free, but then have to pay because you're not allowed to treat people differently. So even though you think you're doing a positive thing, people in this group or who like this thing get a discount, but other people can't. If it's part of one of those federally yeah. in classes, don't touch it. Don't even do a positive advertisement about it because the people who are in the other part of that class could, in fact, I'm not sure that they would. We're now in a pretty yeah. litigious environment. They could, in fact, sue you <laughs> for not treating them the same, as, the same as that, that you were at
5: That's really interesting yeah. to me. Have we been ever been this big pusher movement of people upset of, with the 55 plus community where like that could ever get somehow? <laughs> right? Wait, like
1: oh, i like 54? I'm what is wrong with
7: one? Oh, you want to know the bad part? You can't discriminate against young people. With that. So, if it's only that they're young, you're fine. If they're forty and over, you're in trouble. so sorry, guys, but the Older Workers' Benefit Protection Act and all that starts at age forty. That's really you like so? For some <laughs> <laughs> uh, I so because
6: you were discriminating.
1: That's very strange.
7: Yeah, you no, know, you can't. Not man, you are,
1: I'm glad. I don't know
3: you are
7: young. That. You can't discriminate unless. You're part of something, some other class. So there are things regarding familial structure, whether you have kids or not, you know what religion, national origin, all of those things that you're part of. <laughs> those are things you can get in trouble for. But if you're just a generally a young person, you can't say that you are discriminated against. With one, side, you can have all of those fifty-five and older establishment mm-hmm. because you cannot discriminate against young. It's just
1: interesting. And I'm- because I think, I feel like I'm, I try to be inclusive and cognizant, especially with marketing and advertising. But you read, like I read a story the other day about a woman who started a bar that only shows female sports, which I think is a great thing because that's not out there enough. Like is it, maybe they don't, but is that also, could that be reversed on her?
7: No, not unless she only allowed female patrons.
1: Okay. All right. All right.
6: Okay. That's not a, lot. a relevant question to this conversation, Christine, I think in terms of you know, talking about how to set up our properties from an amenities and activities perspective to cater to all demographics. One growing trend, or it's been around for a long time, but something I continue to see is adult swim hours in the pool. Those properties that, you know, have a mix of guests and some guests just want a couple of hours of no cannonballs. I'm right there. I'd love no cannonballs in the pool too, but I'm old and crotchety, but that's another story. If how does that play out in, in, in this conversation as well, in terms of being able to allow those things where you're only allowing certain age groups into activities and amenities on site?
7: So if your cast is like 18, but let's say adults are 18 for you, you're likely fine. You're likely not going to run into any issues. If your cat is somewhere about delineating what a senior swim and stuff like that is, you might run into some issues. But most of the adult swims I know are basically in a bus. But as I said, it's <laughs> you for discrimination. So, you know, that's not a problem. So I would say generally those are pretty, pretty cut and dry. It, the more specific you get, the more in trouble you get. The more broad you are. Adult, kids, the easier time you have. I could see an issue. Gosh, if I'm thinking super negatively of the pessimistic groom reaper in the business world where you were like, only single people who don't have children could swim. That would be more problematic. But if it was adult, you'd be okay.
1: I feel like that's easy to see, right? That's an easy one to see. At least, sure, I'm-
7: but you wouldn't be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't, because we're mounting phone calls. We get about crazy things, and what people are getting for are all over them.
1: No,
3: and to your, to your point, in our terms and conditions, our legal for lawyer advised, we could not write specifically, children must not be left unattended. It has to say, 16 and under must be accompanied by an adult. It was just a slight dynamic change. (laughs) Somebody's got some really background noise. I don't know if it's wind or.
1: Probably me.
3: But that's, I think that's an interesting dynamic that, that we have addressed and are quite careful with also in our neighborhood, our manufactured home community. We encounter the same types of discussions. Unfortunately, while we may think it's inane, but it's part of the world that we live in today, and you just have to consider it as part of your operation.
7: It's being clear that that's clearly defining a term thing, right? If you just say children, I don't know what children is. I'm, I'm, Definitely way over 16, but I'm still my mother's child. So if I camp with my mother, am I her child in that thing? Or am I, I still you know, act her... like a
1: child? So I do
7: very often. Mm-hmm. Lee, if I could wear costumes for work, it'd be excellent. But besides that case, that's what it is. I know people hate the prolific paperwork and the voluminous amounts of things and why attorneys define every word. But it's because of scenarios yeah. like that. Like we're trying to be really clear about how those things are. So in that example, it cuts children can be anything that you want to be more specific when pick the specific
2: role though.
1: Let me ask a controversial question here. Like some of this is good, right? But Does some of this go too far where we're manipulating the legal system by just using a different word, when we mean the same thing? Is it like, isn't there a line where it gets too much on a business owner?
7: Oh, that, that's a lot to unpack. I know, not,
1: you know. If you don't want to answer, that's fine. Like you're no, talking about. Not you necessarily, time, but, anyway, but
7: uh, What I tell people all the time, my husband says that I'm like one of the full dolls and I catchphrase this, but my, one of my biggest catchphrases is good, better, best model, right? So in the ideal world, in a bubble where it doesn't affect your business operations, you don't have anything else to consider. Should you have to be very Frankly, anal about every word and very specific. Yes, absolutely. But I know that's unrealistic. And what I'm asking for
0: people to do is just be better.
7: If you set some rules and it said children, yes, I might advise you that you should define that and be more specific. But at least you had some rules, so you're already better than the campground who lets everyone run amok and then hopes and prays for the best outcome. So it's a gradient. If I could act in isolation, then yeah. But I know that I'm just one of many considerations. And I tell my clients a lot that some things are legal and some things are PR. So I can advise you what's the safest for you legally. Like I had a client where we were talking about whether or not she banned people drinking before they, or if they're renting a river tube for them. Okay, this seems pretty obvious. Legally, I'd be like, I want everyone to be completely sober before they get on a tube and go on a body of water. And that seems best for my liability. But the pushback PR wise, so we had to try to figure out where a careful balance was. Like we won't rent anybody, but very obviously drunk, you're using alcohol on your your own risk and we advise against it. So that way they could still like from the PR perspective, have the experience their guests were looking for, but do as much as they could to a point to try to protect them without kind of anybody else off.
1: And I want to talk about this. Much, but is it the last question about it? Is obviously anybody else can ask the question. But is it better to keep some of this stuff out of your terms and conditions and just, you know, no, in I worry about Words matter. We word, word like drunk people said something staff discretion instead of
7: spelling it out. Back. I thought, that's a lot of stuff. Streamlined yeah. version. It's about paperwork procedures and people, right? So you had a piece of paper and outlined what the things are. You have procedures about how you enforce that and you have the right people and the right people in place doing. it because if you don't meet all those kind of requirements together, then it's going to be a mess. Like I could put something on a piece of paper, but if I never enforce it and the employee I put in place, so never does it, then that paper really isn't worth anything because I'm showing that's not the actual rule. You should write it down. I think it makes it clear for both your guests and frankly, your staff, what your expectation is and if you're in, if it's the long term or whatever, and this is a reason you want to remove the, the rules, it's a nice thing to point to. This is why you have to leave. You would bring to this and not But you got to have all the. After, like okay, yeah, I yeah. one, the carpet.
1: I lied. So my question is: If I'm <laughs> over forty in a protected class, and I'm going to adult swim, and the only way I feel comfortable getting in the pool is with a cannonball and Scott's in the pool. Can I be sued? Or can you? I have what you a, for? for?
7: I guess if the rule was no cannonballs or dead, and then you did it, and Scott's campground and his employee didn't enforce it.
1: Well, Scott's just know. in the pool. Scott's oh, okay. the one who them. Mark's yeah.
7: campground then. Because he's Mark's a, he campground, And you hurt Scott because Mark didn't enforce a no cannonball rule. Then, yeah, Mark could get sued, but the rest of that are red hair.
2: I have no control over what Brian does though. <laughs> That's
4: the <been laughs> <response>. we <I> <laughs> should have done a background check on, or my louder then. But I'm more realistic towards the campgrounds, and I just had this happen this week, so it's top of mind, is that a lot of campgrounds have an age rule for the rig. And they'll, so they'll say, if your rig is more than 10 years old, it has to be approved before we allow it in there. It didn't used to be we had to have those. And then all of a sudden, we were trying to follow a brand. And so people made these rules to keep certain people out. Funds for PR and for safety reasons, whatever. So we put the rules in. And now it's almost going the opposite direction. Because if you have the rule, but then you let one camper in because they spent $200,000 redoing their 1960 bus. But you didn't let the guy that had the one that was just one year older come in and then they say discrimination. And so, do you have no rule? Do you have the rule? Do you enforce the rule implicitly regardless? I think it's a really interesting scenario of where we've gotten to, because like you said earlier, if you've got the rule, you've got to enforce it. There's no more common sense anymore. That is true. The line there, and sorry to dominate on this lovely topic, but
7: the line there would be that you have to treat all people the same for example Kids, if i brought in my rv yeah. that was one year old and yeah. it looked exactly one year mm-hmm. older mm-hmm. than those fresh ones there's 11 years old and brian brought in his army they're comparable mean, in quality but i let in the females I because i just went apart from the females but not males that would be a disparate treatment but the scenario you provided <laughs> that in three seconds because i'd be like they're not so I could treat them differently because this person, camper was not exactly the same. Now, the best, good, better, best, mode is blanket no older than 10 years, so I don't have to go into these thought exercises or worry about it. But as long as I could prove that there was a reason they were treated disparately, that wasn't one of those protected classes that I know what males there or I don't want people from Canada there or whatever it is, then you'd be okay. We might want to scrub that Canada commerce only because my like, in-laws are Canadian. So <laughs> I definitely am welcoming bonds Canadians, but just, hey, that's the difference. And if there isn't a reason or- for the treatment that isn't discriminatory, then you have an issue. But if there is a reason, like one's really nice and really safe and the other one isn't, then you are allowed. Gotcha.
1: All right. That all makes sense. We should probably switch topics now, but before we do, I want to thank the sponsor of the show, if I can find the graphic here at Myerside Accounting, because we're about halfway through, it's time to do that. And they don't discriminate against numbers. From what I hear, Lindsay and her team will handle all the things that you need to do and not just pick out ones that benefit you more than the others. So if you are looking for an accounting team, or hospitality expert in that industry, definitely reach out to Lindsay and her team. It's just past tax time, but it's never too early started for next year, so. Really appreciate them being a sponsor of the show. So what else do we got guys? Let's talk about some happy. Somebody had to come across something that was interesting here. You guys are, you guys with too many people are. I would
5: say we've, we're not the spot. We're in the, we're in the storm within the storm. Cause right now you have every park that's Florida that's coming out of their crazy season, getting everything ready for kind of the next year and in rates and, adjustments there and then you have everyone coming into their busy season right now with new employees and training and setups and changes in pricing and then you have I don't know 230 or 240 parks that are still onboarding hoping to still go live here in the next like 30 30 days to take advantage of the entire season so on our end I wouldn't say happy I would say busy but it's definitely an interesting this is like the month of all months right now is May for us Is it's, it's Big start of all three client types all at once, which, is, which makes for some good times.
1: What are you guys seeing as far as booking lead times? So, we're talking about, and I think about this based on what Case is saying you with know, the spot right in the changeover over some Bart's end of the season, some Bart's starting the season. But we've been talking to a lot of clients about this who are in the middle of that, like in Florida, they're switching types of season and, uh, from seasonal <laughs> to transient. Are you seeing? That kind of shift either impact booking lead times temporarily, or you see times change got you and I've had a couple of conversations months ago on the show before about that. And now you're seeing a little bit of it, but does anybody have any clarity on In general,
5: I don't know if I had a full diagnostic of the entire thing right off the bat, but that's something in our analytics tool that we put in front of every campground as best as we can, is that that days, that average booking window, and we put that front and center of one of the main things of, the analytics dashboards that we're putting, because that is relevant, right? It is very relevant for parks to understand what does that window look like so they can capitalize on advertising, they can capitalize on the other one that we just released that we're excited about is a heat map of where people are coming from. So where their reservations are actually coming from, putting in a digital map for them to be able to see, Hey, we're, we're, this is a, we a vast majority of our current reservations are coming from that and also pairing that with. How far in advance those people are booking right so again a lot of knowledge is power right so pairing subtle things like that together to say okay this city that's 30 miles away on average is booking 15 or 20 days in advance whereas this area that's still a very relevant spot for us to draw from maybe is booking further out in advance for whatever reason so drawing some of those conclusions Again, to tailor towards your message, your marketing, your brand, and where and when to capitalize on those guests is very relevant. That's something that we're hoping by putting that in front of parks and providing that kind of that that analytic view of that will help them make some of those decisions easier, cleaner, faster, better to be able to pivot or to expand or change altogether, whatever the scenario is. But it's very relevant. It's a great question. It's something every park should be listening to. Yeah. Know,
4: and what you know, I'm seeing.
1: Go ahead, Sandy. Yeah, go
4: ahead. I was going to say what I'm seeing with my campgrounds that are the more traditional campgrounds, their booking window is still much shorter. It's 45 to 30 days. But my campgrounds that are more of the destination campgrounds, places that have the water parks and all the extra things going on, their booking window is still much farther out and ha- people still have difficulty. And I think what's so funny is all this research that the KOA report has come out with basically supports that but we're because we're talking about these gen zers who are looking for experiential camping and so if our standard campgrounds don't understand how to market themselves for the experience they're lagging behind versus the people that can market their big water parks or whatever the adventure is that they have going which most of the Mm -hmm. destination parks do so i thought that really aligned well with what i was seeing I don't know,
1: honestly, if it's that cut and dry though. And then, so it, what Casey's bringing, and I'm not saying you're wrong, Sandy. Like obviously it applies to the clients that you work for and probably to a, a larger number of other people who are in a similar situation. But what Casey's saying is important too. Is there anything we can draw from a pattern from like, obviously you work with 400, some campgrounds. Scott has works with, I don't know how many is it now? Scott. Oh Mark talks to people all the time. Is there any conclusions we can draw to help people who don't have that interesting data is what I'm asking.
4: And I wasn't disagreeing with Casey. I was just adding another layer of what I I was because I thought what he said was great. Yeah.
1: I'm sorry if
2: I came across that way. I didn't mean to imply that at all.
4: (laughs) Hey, don't mess with me and Casey.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That camp spot data that Michael shared shows the average booking days is 95 days. So uh, across the entire camp spot spectrum, the average is 95 days. The biggest thing we're seeing this year, there's actually been a little bit of a shift. So if you look back last year, fuel prices had recently shot way up. So a lot of the long distance travel destinations had a significant impact. We had parks that were down 25% year over year last year because their average guest traveled 400 miles to them. So those travels dropped. This year, fuel prices are still elevated, but they're down. In fact, oil prices last week have dropped significantly. And we are seeing already people booking those Glacier National Park, those big long distance journeys this year a little bit more i don't know what the end numbers are going to end up being but we are seeing a slight uptake in those Do you,
1: you think that's solely
2: due to gas prices yeah solely due yeah especially last year last year was the big one when for sure price I, yeah last year again yeah, yeah so if you look at last year the reason those trips got canceled was strictly fuel related this year now people have normalized the higher fuel prices and they're actually down compared to last year by quite a bit in some regions So you're seeing people start to plan those trips a little bit more. Plus they've been used to the higher prices. So they budget accordingly for those new trips. The other thing that we're seeing is that a lot of the, this isn't a lot, but a lot of the popular forest service and national park areas, their campgrounds are closed. So you look at Rocky Mountain National Park, I believe it's now at least one, the big one is closed for a remodel all year long. In Yosemite, there's two parks, two campgrounds that are shut down for remodeling. A lot of forest service campgrounds in California specifically, but in, in some of the other areas that received a lot of snow, they're already announcing that they're not going to open this season because they weren't able to open on time. And the camp hosts that they had scheduled to come in there had rerouted and gone somewhere else. So they don't even have somebody to work these campgrounds. So you're seeing some impacts on the public agency side for availability of campsites. And that's going to impact positively the private RV parks that are around those areas because people still want to go camping there. And they can't camp in the Forest Service, so they might go to that one. And That also then combines, there was just a a data point or it was actually an action item released by the Escapees RV Club. The Bureau of Land Management is putting out public comments on some language that, depending upon how you interpret it, implies that they're going to start trying to limit access for boondocking lands out on BLM properties, which would definitely impact some of the desert southwest properties and so forth, where there's a lot of boondocking going on that's people camping out out in the middle of nowhere because of the availability of solar and whatnot. So you're seeing changes on the public side that's going to probably positively impact the private side. The cool thing about the private side is that we're pretty stable. You're open. You can come stay as long as we've got a site, right? Versus the public agencies. How do you plan for that? You never know what's going to happen there.
1: I will agree with you. It's very interesting to me because I've been, I still think our economy is not headed to a place, but it's not happening as fast as I thought it would. And so it's very interesting to me that's what we're seeing across all, almost all of our clients is very much stability very much adr is holding pretty steady very much bookings are like lead times are a little bit different so bookings are pretty consistent nobody's really panicking and if you're doing your marketing well it feels like you're fine so far and i think continue to be but it's just interesting to me how it is more stable than i thought it would be. i don't know if anybody- well
3: i think and when i say this it's a relative term right? if we're comparing to last year and the year before those are a record years in the industry. But if you look at some of the indicators, that isn't exactly the case. Campspot's reports show that May is softening 3% down. The booking window has shortened and ADR is down in the back half of the year, which means that or indicates that a lot of campgrounds are opening discounts. I still believe, as many do, we haven't even come close yet to seeing what kind of recession is going to happen. And so I do believe there will be a little bit of a softening of the industry. While it is a more affordable industry than the hotel business for sure, it's impossible that it can't continue to reflect performance over record years. And Mark, I appreciate what you're saying about oil prices. It's obviously market-specific. Arizona, we have the highest gas prices in the country at four ninety nine right now. So that, they're up. So I think some of these indicators have to be continued to be monitored because I don't think we're through our tough swimming yet. I do think there's going to be a bit of softening, both in ADR and some occupancy. And I think you're seeing that in glimmers. As some of these, as I've read Michael's reports now for the last three or four months, the tone has changed. And, and Kate, you can confirm that if I'm wrong, but it's a little bit more cautious—not negative, not pessimistic, but certainly cautious. Just in terms of comparison of record years, I completely agree with you, Mike. And to your point, coming down from
6: 21, especially 22, was an interesting year. But we see the there's another there's another service that that we follow that's tracks, travel and analytics that's outside of the just camping specifically. And their April report shows that over the last three months, sentimentism, sentimentism towards, towards a recession occurring or their belief in a recession occurring was, was dissipating, meaning basically they felt like there was more optimism in the economy over the last couple of months. But just in the last 30 days, that started to shift again. And I think what that tells us is that we're continuing to see a lot of volatility. I think that knowing that the folks are just waiting to book until they know a little bit more about what they're looking to do and what the economy is going to be doing, even despite that uncertainty, 85%, according to this um, to this analytics service, 85% of American travelers are still... Booking trips and they're planning three and a half trips this year compared to 2.9 last year. I still don't know how you take a 0.9 of a trip or a 0.5 of a trip, but just drive halfway and come back. But a lot of gas along the road. (laughs) It's, It's encouraging to know that we are still, we as a camping and traveling public are still very optimistic about hitting the rain, but we are being much more cautious with our dollars. I think camp spots. Biggest booking week is a good reflection of that. It was a, it was, I think it blew your guys' expectations out of the right key. I don't want to speak for you guys, but, and I think there, there was of course a lot of marketing behind that, but it was also promotion driven. And I think that people are still looking for value. And the good news is that camping is a great value. And to those folks that experienced camping through the pandemic that were traditionally hotel guests. Hopefully some of those folks kind of return again as they see price differences in the two offerings and they still yet want to
5: travel. Yeah, I would definitely confirm that. Absolutely. That's what we saw. The expectation for us, at least from our marketplace from kind of day one was obviously always to bridge that gap between someone that doesn't know where they want to go and bridge them up with someone that has availability. That's the logical part of it. But the other big piece of that, and, and I'm guessing this is a strategy for others, but not just saying can spot, but. It's to create more camper nights, right? A truly part, a massive part of our marketing is creating additional camper nights, right? It's intriguing someone to say, I'm going to go again. I'm going to go for the first time. I'm going to book something in addition. I'm going to stay an extra. The goal with a lot of the marketing that we're doing now is that intriguing aspect of to create more camper nights, right? Because we know that if, let's say occupancy is maybe down in some capacity, where can you make it up? You can make it up with, getting more people to camp that maybe weren't considering camping before getting someone to go an additional weekend or additional, or even additional day going out, going Thursday or staying until Monday or something along those lines, or it comes from other areas, right? You're going to say I may sell less camper nights, but I'm going to get this much more add-ons. I'm going to sell this many more aspects of, of this at the park of events or th- whatever it is like to drive additional revenue there from the park standpoint, it's somewhat their re- responsibility to offer as many things that they can at the time of booking to drive that ticket number up from our responsibility from at least from our marketing for our marketplace is the goal is creating more camper nights right that at the end of the day that's what we want. Now selfishly of course we want to create more camper nights for parks using our software but in in theory that's not always going to happen right we want to create more camper nights in general but but it's interesting because you can drive um, to your point Scott you can drive action right you really can now it costs money, but you can drive people to consider either additional nights or alternative vacations or additional vacations by being in front of them, right? And then that's, and that's something that we're, of course, still trying to figure out and, but that's a big thing, a component of our success is how many additional
6: nights, camping nights can we create for you? And I think looking up the further out booking periods, uh, August, September, October timeframe, I... Don't want to speak for our entire portfolio, but a number of our properties, as was evidenced in CampSpot's reporting as well, are certainly weaker or down year over year in terms of booking velocity and pace for those time periods. And we're not like all that critically concerned yet, though, because we know that the booking you think when time? changed. Right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Think so. So. yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And we're ready, though we've got kind of our finger on the trigger to mobilize promotions and different you know marketing initiatives if we need to. But we're not there yet. We were concerned about May and June and the first half of July, but that's strengthened to the most part. So unfortunately, 2023 is just another roller coaster year for our industry. And I think though that continuing to be real in knowing that occupancy will be down to Mike's point earlier. We will be down for record number of years. We will be back to those kind of pre-COVID periods. I think we'll be elevated as an industry overall. Biggest takeaway is occupancy may return, but ADRs have moved. That, that's the name of the game for us. ADRs have moved significantly from where they were pre-pandemic. And I think if there was one thing to be happy about returning to a pre-pandemic level is understanding your ADRs are up. And then making your operations more efficient on the cost side so that you can still drive more in a Y, even with less people on site.
1: Yeah. Are you very confident Mm -hmm. though that, that ADR will stay that way regardless of the economy?
6: I think we've, we had some fairly, I think, sober expectations on ADR going into 23, just 3%, maybe 5% in certain properties over where they were last year, but we were aggressive last year. If we don't hit that three to 5%, we're still very happy with where we were on ADRs last year. So I don't think that there's going to be a significant delta in from the highest of highs in 21, 22 to where we are again, 24, 25.
5: I was going to say, this is related to what you're saying as far as operation efficiencies. I'll throw out another kudos to Mike and his team there, because when we stayed there, we got in late. So they had uh, things waiting for us, but honestly what I was blown away with now, granted we checked in online and we did a lot of stuff, but I think I saw, I think I literally came across one employee they were amazing. The staff there was amazing, but for a group of 40 people to staying there for three nights, I think we stayed there for, in terms of like staff efficiency, it was, it was incredible. Like it was almost. It is, as clean as things were and it's the, the the pool is warm the hot tubs were good they were clean we i think i talked with one staff member to rent pickleball paddle and that was my experience the entire time with staff there Great, they were great they were nice and it was just we all talked about it like this is we don't need anything we don't need anybody we're here we're settled in and everything is going now, obviously there was a lot more going on behind the scenes to make that all happen but i just remember like being very impressed in terms of Again, the operational efficiency of that, because you'd imagine, what do you guys said? There's 300 plus sites there, right? You have people staying full time, and you have a group of a crazy 40 people from Michigan coming in. And the fact that we didn't need to talk to anybody about anything for three days is that—that to me is operational efficiency at its finest to some extent, because like that, we didn't need anything. We didn't need anybody.
3: Yeah, I appreciate the uh, the feedback and the kudos. We have an amazing team there, and I think. We apply a lot of the hospitality or lodging operational approach to our resort business. We look at labor tools and labor management and like you mentioned how to be efficient and but you're not taking away from the guests in the same way. so I think when we first started, it was a lot more mom and pop traditional you know there's not a lot of analytics, but I think if you use good common sense if you use and I've heard Scott talk about it, I've heard Kathleen Walsh talk about it. The, the smart operators are doing those things to make sure that you can be as, and we're doing that right now with Brian working on camping e and how can we be efficient and provide great customer service without taking away the experience for the guest. and through the AI chat? Can we save time for our front desk and the reservationist, but the guests still get the great experience? Absolutely we can. And there's so much focus on, to, to Scott's point, if you do soften, can you enhance your NOI in the right way? We're always looking to, and I was looking at Casey, as we were chatting, I was looking at our Camp Scott value report. Just curious to see if we were up versus last year. And I love the report that you guys put together with the site, site lock and the add-on and the optimization, dynamic pricing and the marketplace. Those are the five areas that you can look at how you're enhancing your revenue, right? And so many of those are 100% flowable to the bottom line. Yeah, I'm not sure flowable is a real word, but it is now. And I think that's the name of the game is how do you make these businesses more efficient while balancing the customer experience? And Randy also stayed with us and Scott, Randy, he provided me like 40 bullet points, but they were excellent insight, right? To give you some good operational improvement. So I appreciate that Casey, And I think you're spot on. And I think all properties should look at that same type of approach.
1: I you know, I have a different perspective, but I do agree with the whole, like, I don't disagree but I have a different perspective on the operational efficiencies of um, there's the low-hanging fruits for at least a lot of the people that we work with. Obviously, you guys have up your individual properties That's well. For the individual independent properties and even some companies, right, somewhere, operational efficiencies is a big thing. Like, we're going through it right now. Like, we're using a combination of, obviously, AI, but Zapier and connecting our different tools that aren't AI together and saving dozens and dozens of hours for our employees that make us more operationally efficient, but we're also at the same time balancing that with our customer or our client experience to make sure that doesn't break. So I think there's a lot of opportunity here for tech to help too. And you mentioned can't be, but that's not obvious and that's one of hundreds of things probably. But I think
5: that is just to play off of that for as people going into their season when I talk with it's, owner it's, operators or even like managers, like there is this sense of stress right now to of staff and the amount of workload and making sure they can get their employees ready to go and things are ready to rock. And it's anything an owner operator or manager can do to somewhat automate. Just it's amazing. Like we always appreciate if Parks actually look at some of the analytic tools that we create and, and hope that they're utilizing them. But it's incredible how many don't find time to to do that. And we are constantly having to prod say this is, you should be looking at these things. This is very relevant. And so it's almost like anything you can do to streamline or automate, even if it just opens up that time to either breathe or even open up the time to dive into some of those nuances or some of those numbers or some of the analytics that can sometimes be very telling, not all the time, but sometimes they can be very telling to help you either know where to put additional resources or less resources, or at least just to have fun spending time on where to put some marketing dollars or where to put the advertising. Like me, when I used to own the different businesses, like when I could work on the business instead of in the business, that was like the funnest thing you could do, right? Is getting yourself to the ability to think along those lines. But ninety-eight percent of the time, that's not reality. But even I would even challenge owners and even managers that standpoint because it's incredible how many managers actually truly run and own these parks. Like they they really are doing everything to make these things work. But anything you can do to justify that time to say, okay, we streamlined some of this, or we took this many more online reservations. That's an easy one, right? So we went from 50% to 62%. I'm going to justify this many hours a week to focus on this now, because otherwise you get sucked right back into other day-to-day operational things. But whatever it is you enjoy or want to be able to work on, find some efficiencies, calculate them, and then focus on those areas that you want to. And it'll make a big difference. I think on like enjoying some of the things you want to work on, but getting some good insights on your park and in your business.
1: I think the biggest challenge we see with that is owners don't, not even owners, People don't know what it is possible to actually automate and continue to keep the customer experience at the same level or the employee experience at the same level, right? And this is a challenge even for us with our employees who are in these tools every single day, I have them all creating lists just tell me what you do that is repetitive or tedious, or you don't like, I don't care if you think it can be automated or not, give me a list. I'll figure out how to automate 75% of it. You may not think it's possible. And then again, you can take that. And so their question and their concern is, and this is partly AI, but partly whatever is I'm a writer. What am I going to do then? The answer is we're going to figure it out because it's going to allow you to be creative and do something better and more enjoyable for you, just like a campground owner can then redirect their attention to do something that's more fun and more enjoyable for them versus the repetitive tasks or the monotony of campground. So I think it's all a good thing. You just have to, I think the biggest challenge is identifying what can and can't be.
3: I think it's amazing yes. that it took 58 minutes for you
1: to not mention AI. Like, I think that's incredible. Only, but that's, so to be very clear, this is only like, AI is this. Automation has this much to do with AI. It's a totally separate thing. It's just, it was the catalyst for us to start doing some of this stuff. I put off with the Zapier for yeah. seven years. And, care, 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 care and I, I would
2: have so I, proud I'll jump in with what Brian said. Brian actually hit it on the head there because people don't realize what they can do with automation. And I'm much like Brian in that I can figure out another way. And so one of the hardest things as an owner or manager is, is you don't really expect your employees or staff aren't at that level to even think about it. But you want to get the feedback from them on what their processes are and what they're doing and then look at how you can potentially streamline that for them. And that's actually a key task for any operator and it's a hard one. But if you do it, you can generate some significant ROI. Like we've, on our end, operationally, we figured out how to reduce our production times by multiple of 10 simply because I identify what was going on in it. We were able to cut off 90% of the cost of producing those videos. And so as a result, then we're able to provide lower cost to the end client, create a better product and all that type of stuff. But that's, that takes a different type of mindset. It, it actually takes a mindset of whatever we're doing now let's throw it out the window and try to do it better and that's a constant improvement type of mindset. And it it doesn't really exist in aggregate across your industry. The ones who are killing it, folks are on the show that are killing it, you're looking at that, but most of the industry is not. So that's always been my goal is to suggest ideas on ways to run your business. That's what Casey's doing. That's what Brian's doing. Here's better ways to run your business. And if parks in aggregate start doing that, it's going to improve the experience of campers overall.
1: Said. All right, guys. We have a minute and a half left. Any final, Martin thoughts? Why? Just Thank, buck, buckle up. It's
6: gonna be another. gonna be another year. Were, I, I, we're already in, but another that's season. Great. That's of, great. Like, I love
1: when it's interesting. Yeah. It's well, well,
6: yeah. It, I. I I, I, agree. I. I don't think any of us are bored, though. Cool.
1: <laughs> because it's interesting. If it wasn't interesting, right. we might be.
6: That's right.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. I, again. I. For as much as I talk about the economy and things like that, I think we're all in a great place in this industry. I think if you're willing to be not even as crazy nuts as I am, but like 10% to the point where you are doing your marketing well, whoever you're working with, right? Like you're working with a Scott and his team or a Mike and his team or a Casey with Camp Spot in the marketplace or a me or a Mark or whatever, as long as you're willing to just do those kind of basic things that let's be honest, 70% of other owners aren't. And I think you're going to be in a great position in 23 and beyond. All right, cool. I mean, I'll spend the last 20 minutes thanking our sponsor, Fireside Accounting. Then again, if you need, we talk about the numbers, where things are headed, stuff like that. But it's very important to keep track of the stuff. Catch up on you at the end of the the end of the year or the beginning of next year when you're trying to won't file those taxes. But that's just make sure that we need somebody who specializes you know, in kind of the hospitality industry, campgrounds, might you know, discount, things like that. Fireside Accounting is definitely the place. We should go. We're grateful that they are our sponsors. So appreciate you guys all being here Casey, Mark, Mike, Christine. Kara had to drop off at some point. Hopefully, she's got her mm-hmm. internet back. And we really appreciate everybody being here. So we'll be all good to see you. All Thank
0: you. you. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.